Welcome to Twice Five Miles Radio, fertile ground for conversations worth listening to and remembering. I'm your host, James Nave, always airing first on WPVMLP Asheville 103.7 and streaming online WPVMFM.org, the voice of Asheville heard all over the world and on other community radio stations like KCEI, Cultural Energy Radio, coming out of Taos, New Mexico. Thank you, Walter Parks, for our theme song, WalterParks.com, for more of Walter's music. Devine Dial, thank you for managing WPVMFM on Wall Street in downtown Asheville. If you would like to reach out to me, Nave at JamesNave.com. Nave is spelled N-A-V-E. And we are sponsored by the Imaginative Storm Writing Project. If you would like to improve your writing, ImaginativeStorm.com is a good place to go to start that process. So today I have a friend on as a guest. He and I are both close collaborators with Leaf Global Arts based in Asheville. If you live in the Asheville area, you probably know the Leaf Festival, which has been going on for now, dare we say it, 27 years, maybe 28. I don't know, quite a while. Masan Kobanda is here with me today, uh, and he comes from lots of travels all over the world to be with us at LEAF. Uh, he's a, a, a storyteller. He's a thinker. He's a thought leader. He also works with students to help them connect with the essence of who they are and helps the students bring that essence out to the world. He also occasionally works with adults and I've gotten some good benefits from having conversations. So my friend, welcome to Twice Five Miles Radio. Thank you so much, uh, James, uh, for having me. Yes, it has been a festival through the Leaf Global Arts. So I'm really excited to be here with you this um, morning or afternoon, wherever our listeners are, to have this conversation with you. You know, when you're online, you never know what time somebody is listening. It could be 2 o'clock in the morning, it could be 10 a.m., and as they say, it's 5 o'clock somewhere in the world. (laughs) Well, the world is a big place, and you do a fair amount of traveling around the world. So let's start by having you tell us about what motivates you to travel so much? Tell us about your work and how you work with your students all over the world and and maybe give us a little history of where you come from and what your life is like when you're at home. Yeah, no, thank you. Um, yes, I think the best thing for me is to start with my name. As you have said, my name is Masanko Banda. My full name is Masanko Kamsisi Banda. And I was born in a a little country called Malawi um, in Southeast Africa. Uh, We are surrounded by Mozambique, Tanzania to the north, and Zambia to the west. Uh, We are landlocked, but we have a beautiful lake. And I was born at a very significant time in Malawi's history. I was born when Malawi was transitioning from being a colonial power under the United Kingdom, actually called Nyasaland, in federation with uh, Zimbabwe and Zambia. So we were ruled as three countries under the British protectorate. 
Well, in 1964, we became independent. But two years prior to that, I was born in 1962, the first time that Malawians could actually be voted into the legislature. Malawi's uh, political structure is modeled on the British structure. And so because I was born on that first anniversary, I was given the name Masanko, which means to choose. My middle name, Kamsisi, means small root. And my last name, Banda, means a group of people. So if you read my name from left to right, choosing new beginnings, root, Kamsisi, under the soil, for groups of people seeking freedom. See, I was born when Malawi was seeking freedom, going into an unknown future. And so my name actually has turned out to be my legacy or my work in the world. Using dance, music, and story to work with people who are choosing new directions or who are choosing freedom. And it can be freedom from anything, freedom from oppression, freedom from racism, freedom from sexism, freedom from you name it. If you are looking to transform from where you are to where you want to go, I can, most of the time, help with that process. I don't know if she knew exactly what she was putting in my brain, but when I was five years old, my grandmother said to me, your job, if you choose to take it, will be to work with people around the world, helping them change their situation, using dance, music, and storytelling. She saw when I was a child that I loved music. I loved dance. If there was dance happening, I was there all through my school. And I grew up in a country where the arts are not just entertainment, but a way of life. Everything that happens in life happens through the arts. We tell our stories, the griot or the storyteller. We sing our songs that express love, that express pain, that express the desire for freedom. We dance to transform whatever is happening or to transform wherever we are to where we want to be. So I grew up in that environment of understanding that the arts are more than just entertainment. Yes, it is great to go to a concert. It is great to come to a spoken word event. It is great to go see the opera. But when you understand what the underlying uh, genesis of where arts come from, cultural arts, Asia, Africa, Central America, Europe, North America, everything, jazz, all of that, all of that comes from a people's desire to transform. And so that's the 
culture that I grew up in. Yes, we did achieve our independence. We just celebrated uh, 58 years of independence uh, last year. And, and, you know, for the most part, as a country, we have managed to stay peaceful. We were a dictatorship for 30 years, uh, 1964 to 1994. In 1994, the people of Malawi rose up against that dictatorship and voted in a referendum for multi-party dispensation. And we have had, I think now, four reasonably free and fair elections that have transitioned from one president to another, something that is rare in Africa. But, uh, two years ago, for the first time, a candidate actually contested the results of the election, and in court, they were overturned and rerun, and somebody else came to power. So, I mean, that's a kind of a rough sketch of Malawi, small country, 17 million people, nine languages spoken, of which I speak three, peaceful, loving people, beautiful country with mountains, rivers, the big five. You come to Malawi, you can see elephant, lion, hippo, buffalo, giraffe, leopard. So yeah, so that's a rough sketch about, you know, where I'm from, um, I grew up in a family of uh, six. Uh, my parents now, unfortunately, are both uh, passed away. But I have all my siblings, big family. You know, I have, let's see, about 80 first cousins, because on either side of my family, my dad had, you know, six, eight brothers and sisters. My mom had nine brothers and sisters. Each one of them had, you know, four or five kids. So lots of cousins. So a very rich family. Uh, I am married. My wife and I together have three children, 38, 30, and 27. They're all grown up now and doing their own stuff. So, so yeah, so it's, it's, um, it's a joy to share with you um, and to give a little window into this country that not many people know. But luckily, through my travels, more and more people are getting to discover. When you were telling us just now about your, your country and your family, you mentioned the idea that you work with people who want to achieve freedom or be free. Yes. I'm wondering, you've worked with a lot of people. Do you think that when we are born we are fully free and then we lose some of that freedom and yet the urgency to remain with our birthright of freedom stays mm -hmm. quite close to our hearts or our souls and that yes. need to be free would it be also fair to say it's a need to return back to the to the original sense of freedom that could well have been quite full maybe within our first cry is also a full sense of freedom that we then have to adjust and calibrate as we move through our lives can you reflect on that a bit yes yeah and and you know i'm using the word freedom very loosely here because 
when you are born, and it doesn't matter where, so if you're born in Malawi, if you're born in Kenya, if you're born in Afghanistan, in that first bubble of your life, there is a certain level of freedom that you have. Freedom to be, freedom to survive, freedom to have nourishment, freedom to be warm, freedom to have a roof over your head. However, depending on where you are born in the world, that freedom can either be encroached upon or actually taken away depending on where you are born okay like for me example you know growing up i you know i i, I imagine that i had a pretty good level of freedom i grew up in a nice house i had all the amenities healthcare clean water etc 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 However, as I mentioned, I was born in a dictatorship where you weren't exactly free to think, well, maybe not think, I mean, nobody can really read what I'm thinking, but you weren't exactly free to do as you wish, to say whatever you wanted to say, more than just shouting fire in the theater. You couldn't even say that the theater was too cold or too hot. So I had the freedom to exist and physical and all of that, but I didn't have the freedom to express and be who I wanted to be. My father couldn't express and be who he wanted to be, etc., because we were in a dictatorship. Whereas somebody might be born in New York, in Harlem or the south side of Chicago or West Oakland or East Oakland and have the freedom to express themselves and do what they want to do, but maybe not have the freedom to grow up in an environment that is good for their health and, and, their, and their well-being. When you look at freedom from that perspective across the spectrum, you know, if you're born in Syria, God forbid, if you're born in Libya, if you're born in Afghanistan or Russia, uh, Belarus, then again, they are looking at a different definition of what freedom means. So from that viewpoint, my work on the global stage has been to say whether it's this big swath of political freedom or the big swath of religious freedom or the swath of being able to love who you want to love and marry who you want to marry. Everybody's dealing with different aspects of their ability to have freedom in their lives from the moment they wake up in the morning to the moment they go to sleep at night. And so for me, as a storyteller, as a dancer, as a person who works with words, and I'm sure you have encountered this uh, in your work, when we come into an arena, giving people the freedom to express themselves, 
unlocks that ability for them to create in whatever best way they can the reality that they want. So I look at freedom from that point of view. And I was talking about this with my host. I'm actually right now in Providence, Rhode Island. Uh, my host is the um, executive director and founder of Rhode Island Black Storytellers, commonly known as RIBS. You know, we were talking about the power of cultural stories and what cultural stories can do to unlock, inform, and transform society. You've traveled all over the world. Yes. You're fluent in the traveling life. You've entered many, many, many cultures yes. on multiple levels for a long, long time. Can you tell us a few things you've learned about the common threads that you've encountered from culture to culture. Each culture is different. Everybody mm -hmm. comes to it with their own agenda, their own background, their own stories. What's common amongst of all of those people, or do you see a commonality? Yes. To me, the common thread, when I step onto a stage and I say, all of us were born under a drum, and so we have the natural link to the heartbeats, which translates to the drum. Djembe, dundun, timpani. So there is a understanding and a nodding of heads that happens, whether I make that statement in Croatia, Russia, Hungary, Kenya, Malawi, Uganda, Brazil, Idaho, Iowa, Hawaii. Also, our desire to share our stories and our desire to be heard is also universal everywhere that I have traveled. People want to share their stories. And usually the question is not, do you want to share your story? The answer to that is more often than not, yes. The question that comes back is how can I share my story more effectively and more compellingly? That's where I come in. I say, okay, I can give you the tools for you to be able to do that. And I'm sure if I asked you the same question on your travels around the world, what the common threads are, well, let me ask you, you know, what have been some of your common threads as you have traveled from continent to continent? One thing I have noticed, people long to be heard. Yes. They long to have someone listen to them, really pay attention to what they're saying, to look at them, to regard them. Mm -hmm. And in the act of regarding and listening, respect yes. flows back and forth between the two people. So exactly. the need for respect is something that I come across. Mm -hmm. I also come across 
the need to smile. Yes. People love to smile. They love mm -hmm. to experience a sense of humor, not a joke. I mean, the jokes are fine. I like to tell right. a joke. I'm not that good yeah. at it, but sometimes I'll try. But the sense of humor, they, they love amusement in the sense of yeah. I'm just, a, we're just amused. And the muse comes. We're joyous about this moment between us. Mm -hmm. So that's, mm -hmm. that's similar to what you're, yes. you're, you're talking about as well, yes. I think. Yes. So this, there's, there's positivity. Yes. Positivity. Yes. That's, that's something mm -hmm. that people long for. We don't get it all the time. When right. it does happen, it's a joyous thing to see and experience. Exactly. Exactly. And, and, then, and, and I think the third thing that I wanted to add is that people across the globe want to be entertained. And when I say entertained, it's not necessarily going to the big arena to watch Taylor Swift or Snoop Dogg or Jay-Z or whoever it is. But people want throughout their day to have a certain level of entertain me. And again, not as in stand in front of me and tell jokes or tell a story, but entertain me by sharing with me pictures, sounds, insights of who you are. Because it is through that that we get an opportunity to reflect on who we are. So when I share who I am, you get an opportunity to see who you are. And it's, it's a very subtle, you know, that I, I'm just beginning to tap into that, this desire to be entertained. It's almost the antidote for loneliness. Because loneliness is a big thing on the planet. I'm beginning to discover. A lot of people are surrounded by people. Maybe they have big families, but they are lonely. And they are lonely because they lack that attention that all of us seek. It's almost like, I need my fix of vitamin D, so I go out into the sun. Now, I can just step outside the door, and I go out into the sun, and I get my fix of vitamin D. But how can I get my daily fix of entertainment? And I'm thinking about entertainment. I've been entertained by the natural world. The, yes. the thunderstorm, I've been entertained mm -hmm. by the wind, mm -hmm. the sound of the mm -hmm. rain on the roof and other things that we hear in the natural world or see. Yes. Yes. The deer walks by the window, the birds mm -hmm. sing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Entertainment between people, is that a different kind of thing? And when you say we need to be entertained, I get the sense that you're talking about a comprehensive kind of entertainment. Yes. I yeah. learned to be entertained by the thunderstorm and the rain mm -hmm. on the roof. Mm -hmm. I learned to entertain myself 
alone. Right. Just with me. And then I also get my entertainment joy from other human beings. Here we are back to the heartbeat and the drum. Right there. Right there. So when you enjoy that thunderstorm, when you enjoy the deer walking by your window, you are, there's a, there's a wonder, okay? But what's lacking in that is the reflective aspect. So when you take that and share it with another human being, okay? So you take your solo individual sense of rainbow, thunderstorm, the light across the lake, the pond, when you share that with somebody else, you are now opening the window into that magical two-way mirror that we all desire. Because, truth be told, that person has also had their moment of wonder, their moment of ah. All of a sudden, they get to understand that their moment of wonder, their moment of awe, is not just a solitary thing. Somebody else feels it. And when you engage each other, so yes, it's entertainment on a comprehensive level because through our connection, we get to rediscover our mutual moments of wow. And we're also amplifying it as well. It's an amplification process, wouldn't you say? Yes, yes. You know, I've always told people, I've always told people, I say, look, if you go on vacation and somebody asks you how your vacation was, your tendency is to go, I did this the first day, I did this the second day, I did that the third day, which is fine. But I say, try this. From your two-week vacation, pick out three or four moments of ah, of wow, and share those. And you open a window into a shared magical space that we are all desiring. Whether you've gone to Machu Picchu, whether you've climbed Mount Everest, any of those adventures have moments of wow. And the moments of wow are what people will glam onto. In music, it's the bridge. In spoken word, it's repetition. In dance, it's the movement that is done again and again and again, that comes back a second time. Ask any choreographer. In a choreography, there will always be the moments that are repeated because those are the moments that people remember. In a film, if you watch a two-hour movie, 
you're not going to remember the movie from opening credits to closing credits. But there are going to be moments, and film directors know there are going to be moments that you will share with people over and over again. And so if two people watch a movie, this person shares eight magical moments, this person shares six magical moments, all of a sudden you've got 14 magical moments, and the overlap or the new ones like, oh my gosh, I didn't see that that way. And so as artists, what we create are those magical moments. But it's not just limited to us as artists. That's why I say the desire for entertainment is not always the desire for the big blockbuster movie, the great concert. Day encounters can. Continuing on with this idea of the commonality of people and groups. Yes. In your travels, you go from one place to the next to the next. What have you learned about entering a new culture, a new group? How do you calibrate yourself upon arrival? And what are some of the things you do to really get a sense of how you can bring your best self to a brand new group that might well be rather different from you? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Two things, mainly. I depend on two of my senses. One, sight. Two, ears. You know, there's the saying, we are given two ears and only one mouth because we need to listen more than we talk. And I've learned the hard way. Very, very observant. Notice what people are doing when you are in a new environment because there is a reason why. And match up what they are doing with what they are saying. And this is true of cultures. This is true especially of relationships. Those of you who are jumping into a relationship or exploring a new relationship, listen to what the other person is saying. Observe what the other person is doing. In cultural, because we live different, we eat different, we approach being in a common space differently. I have learned over the years, you know, and I've traveled all five continents, Asia, Africa, Central America, South America, North America, um, Central Asia. I've traveled all of those places. Observe. What are people doing? How are men approaching women? How are adults approaching young people? How are young people approaching adults? How are they talking with each other? You know, we were talking the other day about how in American universities, students call their professors by their first name. That is unheard of in Africa. And in fact, even when I went to college, the best I was able to get to was to say, Professor Steve, 
I could never just say Steve. So like my technical director in theater was Dale. I could just never say, hey, Dale, what do I do now? Uh-uh. I'd always be like, hey, Prof. Dale. I think the best familiarity I got to was Prof. But I could never just say Dale. I could never just say Anetta. But that came from understanding that on the American campus, over time, they have gotten to this level of familiarity. And it was almost awkward for me to always say, Professor Seeds, Professor Jefferson. It was like I was a dinosaur. You know, it's like, okay, leave your African culture out there. You're now in Ohio. My coming towards the middle was to still keep that title of professor. So that's a roundabout way of saying observe, listen, before you speak and do. How do you go about that? And I'm saying that because when I sometimes observe, I will tell you I'm observing, but I'm actually just kind of glancing around and I see the (laughs) trees and the look at the light over there. I'm not being that systematic about my observations. And when I am more systematic, like I will notice, what is that person wearing? Look at the earrings. Oh, that's a blue shirt. Hmm. What's behind that person? How is that person moving? So I'm paying much closer attention to it. So do you have an intuitive sense of how to observe at a deeper level because of the work that you've done? And how would you advise somebody to develop a deeper sense of observational power? Oh, I'm so glad you've asked that because my master's degree was in theological and cultural studies. So I spent a lot of time diving into the theor- you know, theoretical, practical um, reasons of why people do what they do on all five continents as a matter of study. And so, yes, there is a certain element to where I have been studying this and therefore I am much more aware of the need to observe. But I can't have the expectation that everybody, all six billion of us, are going to go study cultural studies so that you can be more culturally appropriate. So what I say to people is, yes, there will be a certain element of, as you say, okay, I'm just here, I'm just casting my eyes around and allowing my eyes to rest on, okay, they've got that on the curtain and they've got those paintings and da-da-da-da-da, okay? But... Over time, like anything else, hone your powers. And especially when you come into a different situation, exercise your muscle of keen observation. And one of the ways to do that is when you are with people of your ilk or kind, Practice with them, sharing the things that you've observed on your travels, because they won't be offended. 
because they are like you, but they are going to be able to say, hmm, maybe you could have seen it this way, or maybe you could have observed this, or maybe you could have observed that. So let the world be your classroom, but let your people be your sounding board. So the world is your classroom. Observe, come back to your people, let them be the sounding board, and you can both learn together. So the world is the classroom, and indeed we learn. Yes. How do we trust ourselves with what we observe and how we analyze it and how we take it in? Mm -hmm. How do I know that what I'm seeing is accurate? Somebody might say, oh, no, no, that's not it at all. It's this way. Where does that trust come from? The trust comes, it builds over time. Over time, you get to trust yourself more. Um, and, and let me say something here. It's also an invitation for us to be more open. And when I say us, I'm referring to those of us of different cultures. We need to understand that not everybody's going to get it the first time. We need to understand that not everybody's going to see it and understand it. And so as different cultures, we also need to be more open. I'll just share with you really quickly. I went to a family from India to have dinner. Now, in Malawi, when we eat, um, we eat with our hands, and we are not really particular of whether you eat with the left hand or the right hand, okay? On the understanding that you will wash your hands before you eat. However, in India, you don't put your right hand anywhere in any of the communal food. Don't know if you get my drift for obvious reasons of what you, you, you use your right hand for, okay? I didn't know that. I went and I sat at the table and I didn't do my usual observation. And I reached into the communal part to pick up a piece of chicken with my right hand. Well, the host of the house just smiled, picked up the pot of chicken, took it to the kitchen, and that section that I had touched, she removed the three or four pieces that, you know, came. And when she came back, I don't know, she made some light joke that, oh, I just needed to go reheat it or whatever. But I noticed that, oh, there are some pieces missing. But she made a joke of it. Okay, and brought the pot back and we continued to eat. And I learned that there, oops, keep your right hand away from the communal food. So what I'm saying is, let's be gentle with each other. Let's understand that we might not catch all of the cues. We might not hear all of the instructions or maybe even understand and we might be embarrassed to ask, well, what do you mean that? Oh, is this what you're saying? You know? So yeah, let's let's be gentle with each other. 
Because at the end of the day, we are all learning. At the end of the day, we are in a classroom. There is the formal classroom, but the world is a classroom. And we are in it to learn. We are in it to be entertained. We are in it to be transformed. And we are in it to discover a little bit more about each other. I'm smiling about your experience at the table with the people from India. And the reason I'm smiling is because I'm wondering how that custom factors in left-handed people. I, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm thinking, well, okay, not everybody's right-handed. So exactly. what exactly. do you do with the left-handed person? Do you do you just keep just keep it quiet? And right. that's that. But I know if yeah. a person is left-handed and you only use your left hand to take the chicken out the left-handed person would feel a lot more comfortable because that's the com that's the d dominant hand right exactly <laughs> exactly so who knows i don't know I, that. it's <laughs> kind of interesting though i do yeah. want to in the last bit of time that we have yeah. together i know you and i are closely associated with leaf global arts yeah. and that's how we know each other and how we've known each other for quite some time and i'm glad to say that you and i are getting to know each other even better of late. Yes. So would you reflect on why you keep coming back to Leaf Global Arts usually twice a year? You're a respected elder as I am in that organization. Right. You yes. travel all over the world. Why do you come back and why is it so important to you and to the rest of us? The reason why I come back is pretty simple. I understand that the more we teach our children about the wider world, the better that world is going to be. I have gone to, not many, but I've gone to a few festivals where I've been hired as the performer. I usually fly in on Thursday if my gig is on Friday or I fly in on Friday if my gig is on Saturday and Sunday and then I fly out and it's like wow my sanko drum story wow da, 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 boom and I'm gone however at leave especially with their leave in the schools and the streets program where they bring me in on Monday they send me to an elementary school second, third grade, fourth, fifth grade, sixth, seventh grade, sometimes middle school, sometimes even high school. And I spend time with the kids for three or four days and do two things, teach them about my culture and two, give them an opportunity to learn an, an artistic uh, something and share it with the festival goers. I believe that that is invaluable in that in the 22 years I have been going to leave, there are 2,000 children in Western North Carolina who now know where Malawi is, who know where Zimbabwe is, who know how to sing a song in a language other than English who understand the djembe, 
the African drum. I believe that you can't put a price on that type of transfer of knowledge, transfer of culture. That's why I keep coming back, because it allows me to share with children that the world does not begin at the Pacific Ocean and end at the Atlantic, does not begin at the Canadian border and end at the Mexican border. There is a whole world out there of people who live, sing, eat, dance, share stories that are different from theirs. And that, to me, in a nutshell, is what keeps me coming back year after year. What about for you? I come back because I have known Jennifer Pickering since she was in high school. I grew up in Western North Carolina. And when Jennifer asked me in 1995, early in 1995, what I thought about launching a new festival on the grounds of Camp Rockmont, I was thrilled to be asked because I knew what could happen with the right kind of leadership mm -hmm. in mm -hmm. an environment like yes. that. Yes. And and that was in 1995. Jennifer was much, much younger than she is now, as we all were. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Even then, she had the vision and the leadership skills to exactly. invite exactly. people to come and be part of something grand yes. that she wasn't right. quite sure exactly. how it would unfold. But mm -hmm. she knew by bringing people in and allowing them to have that freedom that you talk about. Yes. Freedom to just be in this situation. She exactly. knew that it would work. And now it's grown to a global organization that has far, far reaches yes. all over yes. the place. And I come back because she invited me right. to come in the first place. Exactly. And that invitation remains. And I respond every time yes. because of it. We must understand, and you and I understand this. We talked about listening. We talked about respect, storytelling, all of that. But it's it's also the invitation. I invite right. you to join me mm -hmm. at this table mm -hmm. and share yeah. this meal. And that's why I keep coming back. And there exactly. are benefits like this conversation. Here's a benefit. Right. It. It's a benefit of that. Exactly. Exactly. In, in closing. Yes. What would you like for all of us to, to go away with? What kind of blessing would you offer? What kind of good thoughts would you send us away with as we move into our day or night, wherever we are in the world? Right. What you have just said is what I will close with. Let us invite each other to learn more. Invitation is the road to freedom. Invitation is the road to world community. When a person feels invited, they open their heart, expose their soul, and allow something to happen between two people or a group of people. So my closing word would be, let's 
always be ready to invite each other into spaces like this. Invite each other to a story. Invite each other to a spoken word. Invite each other to a dance. Invite each other to dance together, story together, play together. That is what the world needs. More invitation. More invitation. So thank you for this invitation. And thank you, Masanko, for being with us today. And I look forward to leaf in the fall and i guess we'll yes. both see each other again and, and maybe we'll again. even share a, share a, a place together like we did That's this last right. time yes. so so thank you my friend i really do appreciate it you're very welcome thank you have a wonderful wonderful rest of the day and i'll see you soon and there you go my friends thus concludes our conversation with basanko banda i'm looking forward to seeing him again the third weekend in october at the leaf festival just west of black mountain north carolina one of the things that inspired me in this conversation was when Masanko started to talk about how all of the students in western north carolina he had worked with were now aware of malawi and where it was located in africa I remember when I was growing up in Western North Carolina, my awareness of geography was rather limited. I remember once going to Myrtle Beach when I was a boy, and we got to the beach, and I'd never been there before. And I walked to the shore and looked out across the water, and I wondered why I couldn't see land on the other side. As I looked east across the ocean trying to see land, I had no idea that if I could see land which of course was thousands of miles away, I would be looking at the northern part of Africa, Morocco, then Algeria, Libya, and Egypt across the northern tier. When I was standing there as a boy looking out over the Atlantic Ocean, not knowing how far that landmass was to the east, but as I was standing there, I figured there must be something out there. And I think that question, what's out there, was one of the things that started to move me in the direction of exploring the world on my own. Everybody has their own urgency, their own impulse. Maybe you do too. Maybe you have some exploration that you would like to pursue because of a question you proposed years ago, like I did, standing there looking out over the ocean, not even knowing I was proposing the question. Or maybe the question popped up yesterday. Does it really matter? If you have a sense of exploration, then it's important to at least attempt to, to take the first few steps to pursue it. I did have a chance to experience part of the African continent in 1994 when I was invited to go visit the international schools in West Africa, and that was when I first realized how large Africa was. I flew into Nigeria, landed at the Lagos airport, then went from there to Ghana for a teacher's conference, over to Senegal, up to Mauritania, back to Senegal, over to Cameroon, and then back to Lagos, and flew back to Europe. And it was a five-week trip, all total, 
And that was when I first got a sense of the, the vastness of the African continent. I was only in a small part of that continent. For example, it's 2,000 miles by air from Senegal to Cameroon, which is only 400 miles shy of the distance by air from New York to L.A., and that's still in West Africa. So once I realized the distance in West Africa, I was more curious about the true size of Africa. So here's how many countries you can fit into Africa. You can fit Portugal, Spain, Belgium, France, Germany, Italy, Switzerland, the United States, Eastern Europe, India, China, Japan, and the UK, all in the continent of Africa. So that'll give you a sense of the size of the place. Because there are 54 countries in Africa, whenever I mention I've been to the continent, I make sure that I specify the countries I visited. So when I was standing there at Myrtle Beach as a boy looking out across the ocean, I had no idea of the scale of the world. I now have a little bit better idea of that scale. Knowing the geographic scale of something is important. It allows all of us to frame our own thinking around the world in a more accurate way. So a visit to a classroom by Masanko may seem small, 45 minutes, maybe two or three days working with the students. And yet when the perspective changes and somebody changes it by teaching you something you didn't already know, the world grows inside of you. Your perceptions change as well. And that's why it's important for us to be aware of the scale of the world and the scale of the things around us. And that scale can go from small to large. As Masanko said, when you're in a group of people, observe what the people are doing, the subtle things that are happening. And as your awareness grows, so too does your understanding of new situations. And before we say goodbye, I would just like to remind you that if you'd like to see Masanko's work, all you have to do is do an online search, M-A-S-A-N-K-H-O-B-A-N-D-A, M-A-S-A-N-K-H-O-B-A-N-D-A, Masanko Banda. And once you do your online search, you'll find plenty of information about Masanko's work, YouTube videos, TED Talk, articles, and so forth. And on that note, thank you ever so much for tuning in to Twice Five Miles Radio. Twice Five Miles, that's 25 square miles. That's really a rather small landmass compared to the sizes of the continents in the world, the whole world itself. So anyway, thank you for tuning in to Twice Five Miles Radio, fertile ground for conversations worth listening to and remembering. I'm your host, James Nave, always airing first on WPVMLP Asheville 103.7, streaming online, WPVMFM.org, the voice of Asheville heard all over the world and on other community radio stations like KCEI, Cultural Energy Radio out of Taos, New Mexico. Thank you, Walter Parks, for our theme song, WalterParks.com. Thank you, Devine Dial, for managing WPVMFM there on Wall Street in downtown Asheville. You can always reach me, Nave, at JamesNave.com. N A V E, that's how you spell Nave. Nave at JamesNave.com. And we're sponsored by the Imaginative Storm Writing Project. If you'd like to learn how to write better, you can always visit imaginativestorm.com and see some of the offerings there. And so I will just end with one final little question. 
What is it inside your imagination that keeps surprising you at odd moments when something is given back that you didn't know you had had in solitude spontaneously and with great joy? Keep in mind that your imagination is a great vast landscape, a continent unto itself. So thanks again for listening and I do hope you tune in again soon. Till then, I will catch you on that turnaround somewhere down the line.